Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 91. Today we spoke to David McMillan, Irish professional footballer with Dundalk in the League of Ireland and currently the League of Ireland's all-time leading scorer in the UEFA Champions League. McMillan was in fact the joint top scorer in the 2016-17 UEFA Champions League qualifying phase and playoff round with five goals. We talk about David's career to date, having played in Scotland and Ireland and where it all started for him. Preparation on a match day, post-match reflection, analysis and other performance strategies are opened up. David discusses the recent success and learning curve for Dundalk in Europe and the current circumstances around playing professionally during the pandemic in Ireland. David sheds light on balancing football, his profession as an architect and the nuances and positives of this balance. Thanks for joining us on our show, Dave, and best of luck in your current European campaign. David McMillan, thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing today? Good, thank you. How's life, David? I mean, you're a little extraordinary at the moment because you you get to keep playing and training whilst the rest of us, I suppose, have to lock down in a couple of days. Yeah, it's been uh, strange following the last probably two weeks where you're sort of expecting level five to come, but you're not sure. And we're unsure whether that might mean our, our league would shut down and whether obviously we're hoping we'd be able to play in Europe. But the announcement was obviously made while well, we were, I think, playing a game last night and we came in and saw that Level 5 was going to begin on Wednesday and I think we're going to be allowed to finish our league. But yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable for everybody and when you're not sure of exactly what's going to happen, it's, it's far from ideal. And look, you just mentioned it there, Europe. Obviously, some really big games up against, you know, Molde, Rapid Vienna and, and the Gunners over in London. You must be really excited and looking forward to those challenges ahead. Yeah, I think it's it's just been it's been a little bit strange preparation because obviously we've had you know important league games for us to make sure that we qualify for Europe, and yesterday's win was was a an important result for us going into Thursday, and it's probably an important one to give everybody a bit of a feel good factor and to know that we're we're nearly there in terms of of that sort of goal for the season, and it gives us a you know a little bit more relaxed going into Thursday to be able to enjoy the game. Um, I think everybody's been a little bit anxious with COVID that, you know, we've seen other teams pick up uh, one or two cases in the last few weeks. And I suppose our dressing room has has tried our utmost to make sure that doesn't happen. And because nobody really wants to miss a trip to the Emirates, which will be next week or, or this game on Thursday against Molde. So it's just been an unusual time. It's one that, you know, is obviously something great to be looking forward to. And everyone's so excited to be involved in these games, but also a bit of trepidation to make sure that everybody's available when the time comes. You've gained success in terms of you've third side in Irish league history, I think, to make the group stages Europa. Does the feeling change around the ground, around Oriel Park? It's great to be here, but we want to actually get results against these teams. What's the feeling amongst the team about that? Yeah, I think what, looking back to when the Dundalk team achieved it in 2016, we obviously, Shamrock Rovers had done it a few years previously, but hadn't picked up a point in the group. And I think, you know, set our aims that year to make sure that that didn't happen to us and that we came out with a couple of positive results. And we were quite fortunate in our first two games. We drew and we won. So we really set ourselves up. And, 
in the end, we were probably disappointed. We, we had an opportunity to nearly get out of the group, which I think nobody would have given us a chance at the start of it. So, you know, we have a game against Maldi on Thursday and it's one now that I think from the experience in 2016 that we really believe we can we can get a positive result and get up and running in the group and, and try and achieve something in it. And look, David, you've obviously had quite a well-travelled career. You know, you played in different countries. Mm-hmm. You played across a lot of teams in Ireland. Just going back for a minute, when did it all start for you? Kind of what's your earliest memory? When did you start kicking a ball around? When did you figure out you wanted to be up front? When did it all start for you, this game? Well, I have three older brothers, so I suppose, you know, from from an early age, I'm kicking the ball around on the street with them. And I was sort of one of those kids that really played every sport that was possible, whatever was going, if it was Gaelic football, if it was uh tennis if it was whatever snooker if it was on if you were watching the the crucible you'd be out playing snooker for a while if you're whatever everything i could get my hands on so um but i suppose football sort of became the the serious career when i was sort of 15 16 just enjoyed it the most obviously preferred sport team sports more than anything where you were sort of involved with other people and yeah i suppose i went to to ucd obviously where we would have worked together uh, dave and mm. I suppose I wasn't sure what the, my aims were at that stage. You know, I was starting in, in college and just giving it a crack, really, and see how it got on. I spent the first year with, with Dermot McNally's team in the last senior league and I think scored 30-odd goals. And from there, I got the opportunity to go and play uh, with the reserves and first team in UCD. And I suppose my progression has been bit by bit. I wasn't one of those kind of players that was always in, you know, underage Ireland squads or anything like that. It was just a, a slow progression for me and... Um, I think sort of my attitude in terms of just working as hard as I can to, to get to where I have been um, has paid dividends really. During that journey, was there any sort of person you looked up to or maybe someone like a mentor that you thought, oh, maybe I can follow in their footsteps or someone you spoke to in terms of getting that reassurance, to keep chipping away, keep that hard work ethic going? Um, I suppose I, I would have followed in, in my brother's footsteps a lot. Like Evan, for example, is two years older than me and had a good career in the League of Ireland and in many ways, I just followed the path that he had taken. He he had the same journey through UCD, uh, spent a year with, with the Leinster Senior League team and did well. And I suppose I saw what he had achieved and the path that he had made for himself. And I guess that was something, one, that I knew existed and two, that I wanted to try and follow. And thankfully, I was able to do that. He probably helped me in a way because people within the club would have would have known what he was like and his attitude. And that probably gave me an opportunity as well that, you know, the, the people involved in UCD knew who my brother was and that probably helped me a little bit. And for the community outside of Ireland, David, that mightn't know too much about our league, what's it like for a football in it that is playing and training and dealing with all those expectations and, you know, pressure and having to perform well, but you're also having to balance, you know, personal life, potential work, things like that. What's what's your kind of day-to-day like in the league as a footballer? Yeah, I, I suppose I've had quite a... Like, from the beginning, being in, in UCD, which is a, a university-based club, I was studying full-time, studying to be an architect and playing football. And that was quite a heavy workload because the degree itself is is a huge amount of hours. A lot of my fellow students would have been working till 10, 11 every evening. And I always felt a little bit cheeky skipping out at 5 o'clock to go over to the other side of the campus to go training. And um, that was certainly hard work. It made it harder for me that 
you know, you had two things that you had to take very seriously and try to excel in both of them. But in, in many ways, it was sort of having football was just a great break to get out of college and to get away from lectures, to get away from all of that. If you're having a bad day studying, you had something to look forward to. I suppose my journey then went to just playing football. And then I went back to the architecture where I was working part time and playing football. And that was probably, I mean, you'd imagine that the most successful part of your career would be when you're full time focusing on football. But probably the most successful time of my career has been working part-time and football and I think it probably grounds you a little bit you have a sense of of both sides of working in an office sort of most part of the day and then going out and I think you do enjoy the football more when you know and you you sort of value that time outside a lot more when you've when you've been around an office and you're, and you're working that sort of nine to five as well obviously the last few years has, has been focused on football since I was away in Scotland and back here Certainly, I don't think you can have any complaints. It's a great life to, to be able to focus on it fully and and uh, get the most out of it. Do you want to tell us a bit about that trip over to Scotland and what it was like changing teams, changing leagues, and sort of being faced with a new environment where you haven't been, you're not as proven as you would be in Ireland and you have to face into that. So maybe a little bit of adversity. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult challenge. You're obviously moving country, moving home. You're away from family, away from friends. And um, yeah, it took... I was probably a little bit unfortunate. I moved mid-season, which in many ways is a great thing because as soon as you're there, you're you're playing games and um, you can kickstart straight into a season. Uh, I was unfortunate that I picked up an injury in my first game and I missed the majority of the sort of four or five months I had left in, in 2018. So that was a slight stumbling block, I suppose. But and so I hadn't, to be fair, in my career, I've been very fortunate that I haven't had very many injuries. So to get one when you just moved club and what was for me an exciting and big move was obviously very, very frustrating. And I think I never fully, I suppose, recovered in terms of my time at St. Johnston from that injury. I never got, you know, I probably only played 15 odd times at the club there. Um, and despite what I felt was doing reasonably well, I scored four or five goals. I, I never felt I got a proper chance. And I suppose when you, I was leaving a club where I was playing every week and doing really well and playing under a manager who had a lot of faith in me, who trusted me. And then you move into a different environment where you're trying to gain the trust of a new manager. And when you're out injured and he can't play you <laughs> and you've been mm. his kind of new signing, it's it's difficult. And it was a, a difficult relationship between myself and the manager there. It never really had the feeling that, you know, there was faith in me the way I would have when I was here playing with the dog. So that was definitely difficult. But in the end, it's a, it's just part of a learning curve, I suppose, of the career. You're going to have ups and downs and highs and lows. And while it was probably a low point in terms of playing as many games as I would have liked to, it was still a great experience to go over and and uh, and play in a different country and play in a, a different league. And what specifically have you taken from that foreign experience? Never mind the fact that you know we did read about the injury. Like that was obviously a very unfortunate setback for you, I'm sure, but. But what else maybe did you take from that experience as a person that maybe has impacted you coming back to Ireland to again play here? I'm not sure. I think you just have to to learn a little bit to be thick-skinned. I think football, probably something I hadn't experienced in Ireland was football in the UK is probably a little bit more ruthless. You know, there is the the famous saying of there's no friends in football. And I think while certainly you will make friends in football, I think it's looked upon as a business first and foremost you know you might sign a contract for three years but six months later somebody might decide they don't want you anymore and that contract's worth very very little so 
I think I saw the probably the uglier side of the game when I was in Scotland. But in saying that, it just I suppose it just yeah, you need to grow a thick skin and, and deal with it and stand up for yourself and do what's right for you and and learn to mind yourself. And I think I've done that through my time in Scotland. And you mentioned earlier work ethic being one of your, your key attributes. Is there anything else, maybe a habit or routine that you think is mostly contributed to your success? I mean, you've done really well in both leagues. Is there anything, one particular thing or maybe one or two things that you think have benefited you most? I don't know. I think I think I'm quite level-headed in terms of you can have amazing success and then, you know, you can pick up an injury or you can, you know, lose a couple of games in a row. And I think you've got to learn to, you know, not take praise too seriously and not take criticism too seriously either. I think in today's world, the modern world of, of Twitter and so forth, I think everybody's guilty of, of just jumping on a thing the second, you know, to just have an opinion, even if it's, you know, not well thought out and, I think in football, you just got to have belief in yourself and faith in yourself that, you know, that you're good enough and that you'll, you keep doing the right things and keep working hard. And I think that's just always been my sort of ethos in, in football and in life, really. And and you talked earlier there about the grounding that you get. You know, it's funny, everyone would just assume you're full time. That's when you're playing your best footy. But when it was it's when you were combining the work as an architect with the football that you actually felt you blossomed really on the pitch. A question that we often ask people on this pod is obviously, what can business learn from sport? What can sport learn from business or from work? The kind of other side. What do you take from going out and training or playing or knowing you have a big match on Thursday to, you know, you have a lot to take on your on your shoulders there to bring back into the workplace in time? When, you know, when you're back working in that capacity, what, what do the two worlds learn from each other? That's a difficult question. I'm not sure. I think in many regards, I talked about football in Scotland, Scotland being like a business. I think in many ways it can be ruthless. And I think there's there's a lot of talk of sort of looking after people's mental health and, and all those kind of things. And I think football in many respects can fail to do that. Of course, it depends on the personalities that you deal with. But I think one thing I learned from my time in in um, in Scotland is that if, for example, I was to run a business or working in a business, is how you deal with people on and off, you know, in football in terms of on and off the pitch, but in a work scenario, the same, that you are dealing with human beings and I think you've got to have a level of empathy and sympathy. And I think football at times can, it's 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 a very different world, things that happen and, and are seen as acceptable in football just wouldn't be acceptable in the workplace. And I think you've got to learn those sort of, boundaries i suppose and how you deal with people and i think from being a player being treated different ways by managers i think you learn how how players and i suppose people best react to either whether it be criticism or motivation and i think those are things that for me personally if i was for example to run a business i feel i would have a good understanding of of how to motivate staff and and how to work with people a lot of time in business you're almost you get a bit of security in your job because you're normally in a contract. Is there anything you can say about the volatility of, of football that a player goes through that, you know, a transfer comes up potentially or you're not playing well, so you're facing into maybe a challenge of getting your form back? I mean, how do you deal with them sort of scenarios where there's a bit of ambiguity or uncertainty around the place? Yeah, it can be difficult, I think, particularly in Ireland. Contracts are often short. They might be only one year, and that is... You know, you, you particularly, for example, let's say this time of the year was only a couple of games left. 
Um, obviously, we've got Europe, but for the other players at other clubs, you want to, if you haven't got a deal sorted out, you want to make sure you're not picking up injuries and things like that. And it can become very, very difficult. You see in one or two other clubs, for example, a player might have agreed to move away from the club he's at currently. And that can be a very difficult scenario. So there's lots of situations where it can be uncomfortable and it can be difficult. And there's no doubt that players are always relieved when there's a, a new contract on the table. For me, I probably, for the most part of my career, I've been fortunate that, that there's been offers there. But there's been one or two seasons where that has been more difficult. And it's a very unsettling time. You've just got to keep sort of training and keep working hard and hoping that things will fall into place for you. But um, it's certainly not easy, particularly if you, for a lot of players in League Round who mightn't have anything to fall back on. We look now as we're heading into next season, we're about to go into a, a lockdown here. Will next season happen? You know, I've spoken to people within the, the Players Association and they're speaking about, you know, they hope players can be signed up because there's no certainty in terms of games next year and all of that. So particularly, I think at this time in, in this year of all years, it, it's certainly an unsettling time for, I'd say, a lot of players. Um, and that's myself included, you know, beyond December, I have no contract. So for me personally, I'm sort of thinking, do I need to start my work up again and, and try and get jobs outside of football or will there be a contract on the table in the next few weeks? It's, it's very, just so hard to know. And David, you, you've obviously worked with a lot of different managers. So obviously you understand relationships and communication. You've even mentioned sympathy and empathy and those sort of things. How, how do you, I suppose, how do you define a successful manager or what do you feel brings the best out of the players? We hear the term, he's a, you know, he's a player's manager. He kind of gets us, he lets us do our thing. But, but for you, kind of what are, what are the ingredients to, I suppose, fostering uh, a successful environment for a team, but also helping the players do their thing and develop themselves? Yeah, I suppose every player is different, but from my perspective, um, and I think from a lot of players' perspective, I think communication is probably the number one important attribute for a manager that he can bring his players in and speak to them, whether it be as a team or a one-to-one, and you know, trying to evaluate how that player is feeling and where they are in their own head to get the best out of them. The managers that it's it's difficult because a lot of players will like managers who play them and won't like managers who don't play them. So I think you have to go beyond that sort of analysis of it to to really understand. And you know, I remember my first season at the dock where I was I was in and out of the team, wasn't starting as much as I would have liked. But I had a manager in Stephen Kenny that I knew, you know, motivated you well, spoke to you properly, dealt with you like a human being and, you know, made it clear that if you weren't going to play, well, you're not going to play. There was no ambiguity or no miscommunication. And I think for me personally as a player, and I think for a lot of players, communication is, is number one and then motivation as well to just get the absolute maximum out of every player that, that a manager can. And I think those two combined will make a successful manager. And don't get me wrong, managers have to make very difficult calls and and leave people out and let people go. So it can't all be a perfect uh, relationship. But I think players will accept if they're not playing, if they're told why they're not playing, they may disagree with it. But at least they have to accept that their opinion may not be the same as the manager's. But if he's up front with you and, and tells you how it is, then I think, you know, whether you agree with them or not, you have to accept that and, and you can, whether it be part companies and, and move to a different club or whatever, then so be it. 
you've probably seen your role change over the past years, 10 years playing, playing in Ireland and Scotland. How, how do you feel your role has evolved from when you were a young kid on the block and how do you facilitate maybe the younger guys on the squad at the moment? Yeah, I, I suppose being fortunate starting out again back with UCD where everybody was young, it was sort of a, a much easier environment. Like speaking to other players, particularly in the UK, where they sort of have more of an academy set up and young guys come in. And I suppose it could be quite an intimidating environment coming in with senior players and uh, the young guys have to wash your boots and all that kind of thing. So um, certainly now being slightly more experienced if this younger guys in with us into talk, I would always make an attempt to speak to them and make them feel comfortable that, um, you know, it can probably be for some younger guys a bit of a, you know, an intimidating atmosphere to come into. So if you can settle them in and make them feel comfortable, you're also probably going to see the best of them on the pitch, which is is what everybody wants. So, um, yeah, I think, as I said, I was probably fortunate in UCD that you're in a young bunch anyway, that there was never the older guys that, you're afraid to give the ball away or something like that. They're going to shout and scream at you, which I know other players have experienced. But um, UCD was probably a good club in that, in that, um, you know, in those terms. But yeah, I think I'm, I'm 31 now, and I think if there's any younger guys, we've had a couple of young guys come into the, the group recently in the dock, and certainly just trying to help them settle and make them feel comfortable. And as I said, that's more than likely going to help them on the pitch that that they know that there's there's no issues if they make mistakes or. Um, just to be encouraging as much as you can. And kind of just building off that a little bit more, Dave, you're, you're 31, say you're 16 again tomorrow, okay? You've, you're back to the future style. What, what would you say to yourself? I think I would just tell myself to, to give it everything, you know, just to, to have no regrets, throw everything into it. And um, a football career is, it doesn't feel like I've been playing for 10 years in sort of League of Ireland and, and Scotland. So, time comes and goes really quickly and in fairness I think I've, I've given it everything I can I've been fortunate that I was able to study in UCD at the same time so I certainly don't feel like I have any major regrets or anything like that but if I was speaking let's say to a, a younger me I would just say give it your all and uh, and believe in yourself as much as possible because um, I've played with a, a lot of players who I would feel have better ability than I had and, and never quite made it as far as I did so I think that was just down to to people sort of being pulled away from football whether it be to go to the pub or <laughs> whatever it might be um, I think you see even the top top players you might think they work as hard as they do but there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that any player who plays in the Premier League they have an incredible work ethic or they just wouldn't be there Excellent and then looking back we talked about setbacks and injuries going the opposite way what's been your favourite memory as a footballer? I think I always look back to to our game against Bate Barasov and Tala, which was to it was well, it was actually the third round of the Champions League qualifier. But we we knew if we won, we got a a playoff to get into the Champions League. But if even if we went on to lose that playoff, we would go into the group stages Europa League. And we had lost the away game to to Bate in in Belarus one nil, and um, we often would have said it was the best one nil defeat we ever had because we were well. They, you know, they were a much stronger team on the day, but we managed to win three 0 in, in Dublin and go through. And uh, the odd time that I see those goals back, um, I scored twice in that game, and and uh, Robbie Benson scored the final goal. And every time I see Robbie's goal, which sort of really sealed the victory, it sort of just brings a smile to my face. And certainly one of the massive highlights of of my career. Um, 
just because it meant we were going into at least qualifying for the group stage Europa League and, and going to, to play some brilliant clubs that we, we went on to play. Giving yourself confidence, going into a big game, you know, knowing when you, you want to really play your best. I, I'm always curious, with, with a visualization sort of exercise, would you tend to think back to instances when you performed well, you know, when you were 9 out of 10, you scored a cracker? Or would you more so be, it's all about the present this is my preparation for this game. So you're trying to, I suppose, prime your mindset for that big game. Do you, do you cast back to what you've done in the past as the experience to help? Or are you like, well, that's done. It's more about the preparation for the game now. Yeah, I think I would probably be more on, on the now side of it, just concentrating on, on what your role is for that night, what you need to be doing at corners, where you want to be for these little bits and pieces that you need to, to know. And then after that, I would always just be thinking about, okay, let's win 1-0 and get the goal and whatever you can imagine the goal to be. So I think my mindset would always be focused on the present event as opposed from past events. Of course, knowing that you've been in a certain game and, and done it before, it does help. But probably my own personal mindset is, is for example, playing yesterday and we were, we were on our way up to Derry, I was more focused on let's get the three points and try to get a goal tonight more so than well I've been up here in the past and I've won here you know I think teams change all the time so you're for me the focus is on that game ahead of you as opposed from those games in the past. When you're looking back over a match like let's say last night's Derry game and looking at your performance I heard Kevin McMenamin Dublin footballer speak recently and he's a performance psychologist as well about how he tries to balance his criticism with his sort of self-complimentary approach as well, where he says two bad things about himself, but then two things he's done well. So what kind of approach do you take into games and looking back on Derry even last night? Yeah, I think I'd be quite self-critical of my own performance. I would actually give out that some footballers, you know, I think we have an ingrained thing to, which I think doesn't exist, for example, in rugby where we seem to pass the blame quite a bit. I think that's a sort of a football attitude maybe, but that probably isn't present in other sports. But personally, I would always come off the pitch and be self-critical. I think you know when you've performed well and when you've performed poorly. And certainly I would just be going through the moments in the game in which I suppose you were involved. You know, I took a good touch there or a bad touch there. or Why did I hit that shot off target or on target or could I have made different movements, you know, for certain incidents if a cross comes into the box? All those sort of things would be things I would be thinking about right after a game, through the whole night after a game, you know. And I think that can be a good thing in terms of you're always analysing where you can improve on. But I think when you have a poor game, that can become something that's maybe a negative because you can overanalyse why you play poorly when you might just have had an off night, you know. So maybe at times you can be too self-critical. If that happens two or three games in a row, for example, it might erode your confidence. So I think it's important to understand where you can improve. But it's also, I think, as you said about Kevin's sort of idea, that you realize that you're in the position you're in because, you know, on merit and to think about the positives as well as just the negatives. Um, So... I think I should probably take a leaf out of Kevin's book. <laughs> <laughs> and David, in relation to, say, it's not about the technical and the ta- tactical side of things. You know, you are a good footballer. You're good with your feet. You can score. You can head the ball. All those things. 
what about the kind of intangibles that are more difficult to measure? And kind of what of those sort of traits has has given you the opportunity to, you know, be playing for 10 years and, and still playing at a high level? I think just a, a sort of innate commitment to what you're doing. You know, I've personally, I've, I've, well, as I said earlier, I've been lucky with injuries, but I've never wavered in terms of stopping enjoying what you're doing. A love for the sport in general and being outside and all of those experiences certainly help. But I think just a, a level of commitment, first and foremost, to football or to whatever your sport is, and then just a hard working ethic that you go out and give your utmost every day and you know, whether it be training or a match that you're sort of giving your all and um, to try and improve every day. I think they're the two things for me that have helped me get as far as I've gotten. As I said, I feel like there's players who had far more ability than me, but probably had less of those, you know, uh, not as big a commitment and not as good a work ethic that, you know, I was able to have better careers than, than people with better ability than I have. You've kind of half answered um, my last question, David, but let's roll forward 30 years, 40 years, and you're out on a rocking chair, um, wherever you want to be. You're in the Bahamas, okay, and you're smoking a pipe, if you're into that sort of thing, and you're, you're casting back a glance over your career 30 years ago. What would you like people to think fondly of you when they think about you as a, as a player and a person, having played in the League of Ireland, played in Scotland, having represented Ireland underage, things like that? I suppose from a from a kind of player's point of view, you know, I would like other younger players to just think, okay, well, this guy wasn't the best player in the world, but you know what, he put his head down and he gave it everything and, you know, he could go on and have a half decent career and I used to coach this this kind of summer soccer camps and things like that and year on year this is in U C D and year on year you'd see kids come back and it was always the guys who really loved it, committed. You'd see the improvement on them all the time. And I suppose if people looked back on my career, I'd like to think that they would say I got the most out of it that I probably could have and still can. Um, achieved a lot for, as I said, you know, I think probably somebody who, who's maybe slightly overachieved in terms of ability to, to what I've done in the game. And But I think also I've, I've played with my my head held high. I've, I've enjoyed it. Play with a smile on my face. Probably a little bit angry on the pitch, but off the pitch, I think a very approachable guy and the person who gets on with people. And yeah, I think people will look back on, on some big moments in terms of my career at Dundalk and hopefully there'll be standout moments, um, you know, for the for the club in general when, when people look back on the history of, the, of that club. Excellent. Final question from me, and it's when we ask everybody that comes on. What does high performance mean to you, David? Good question. <laughs> high performance to me is is Leinster rugby team, is Dublin GAA team, is you know the Ireland football team. These are high performers who are at the at the peak of their sport, are performing at the the top top level, and those who commit their lives to to what they're doing. And um, that may not just be sports people; that may be you know, people who work in the sports field, whether it be medical professionals or coaches, it's the people that should be earning the big bucks because they're the ones who can do what, what others can't um, in terms of elite performances. You're fluffing two physios up here a bit, are you? And I never had to do anything for him anyway. So, <laughs> so I was fit. Yeah. That's a good answer, Dave. 
Dave McMillan, we'd like to say thanks very much for giving us your time today in a busy week, a big week for you. Wishing you all the best, not just this week, but moving forward. You know, stay genuinely, stay fit, stay healthy, stay well. And uh, thanks again for for speaking to me after about 10 years and speaking to Karan today. Really enjoyed it, Dave. Cheers, lads. Thanks very much for having me on. Cheers. Thanks, Dave. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.